Okay, I know I said in our last episode that we'd be talking about the book tour, and I promise we'll get to it next week. This week, I want to cover one more department within the publishing house that we've only talked about partially here on the podcast, and that's marketing. I guess no one, or it's very rare for someone to buy a book off one thing that they've seen. So our aim is to really make sure that people are seeing these messages multiple times. So they might see an, an ad in, a, in their favorite magazine, and then they might see a bookmark in their local bookstore, or they might see a YouTube video. And that is Julia Teese, who was on the marketing team on the UK side. My name's Julia Teese. And I work as a marketing manager for Penguin Random House in the children's team. So the way I got into publishing was, I guess, quite a traditional way, or at least it used to be quite a traditional way. And it was through work experience. And for the American listeners out there, work experience in the UK is the equivalent of internships in the US. I'd realized that I wanted to work in publishing. I had no idea which area I wanted to work in. So I just applied for as much work experience as possible and got offered a placement. It was Penguin at the time. This was before Penguin became Penguin Random House and worked for the Rough Guides team, which is a a team that looked after travel books. So that was really interesting. And, and I, you know, I loved to travel at the time as well. So it seemed a good fit. So I had a couple of weeks there. And after that, I kind of went back to uni. I was still a student at the time and kept applying for more work experience. I got the bug, the publishing bug, and um, and eventually got another placement, this time with the children's team for Puffin. And while I was there on that placement, a role opened up for a marketing assistant. Um, a couple of the team suggested that I apply for it, so I did. And it was all while I was still on work experience, so it was it was like a three-week-long interview I kind of had to go through. But yeah, I applied for the job and got it. So, you know, over the years, I've kind of worked my way up from there. But as soon as I started working marketing, I, I realized that that was, that was the role for me. Part of it was that in marketing, we're in this brilliant position where we, we receive a book or a manuscript in, in pretty much its final form. So we know that the that the book that we're reading for the first time is the book that our buyers, our customers, in the case of the children's team, the children, um, they're going to read that book and have a very similar experience of it that we're having as we're reading it. So that, I guess, for me is is especially appealing because you can kind of think of your audience, what they would like, and also kind of take the feelings that you had when you first read that book and apply them to, to your campaigns, to your marketing campaigns. I also love the marketing team because you're really in the heart of the action. I mean, I, I guess the marketing team services a lot of different areas of the business. So we're constantly in touch with the sales team. We work really closely with the publicity team. We talk to the production team quite a lot because we produce quite a lot of posters and printed materials and things. Um, and of course, editorial. So we're, we're in touch with editorial from the very beginning. So really, kind of in my mind, I picture it as though marketing is kind of connected to all these different departments and we're we're all interconnected in publishing. So walk me through what happens after um, marketing and after you like get a manuscript for a book. So I guess one of the first things that we tend to do in the marketing team once we've got a manuscript is decide whether in what way we're going to share that manuscript in its current format. And sometimes it's before it's been 
fully edited or, com- or confirmed, but in what degree, to what degree we're going to share that with um, with the wider world. So one of the things we often do is to create book proofs. Sometimes they can be um, just digital online book proofs to send to early reviewers or to send to bloggers or to send to other people who you know might be interested in, in reading that book and kind of knowing about it before the rest of the world do. And sometimes we create physical printed proofs. So that's what we did for See You in the Cosmos. And that is something in the children's team that we don't do very often. We have to really care about a book and feel really passionate about it and, and think it's an absolutely amazing book, a must-read um, for us to create printed proofs because they're, they're almost as expensive as creating a, the final book itself. So that shows a real kind of commitment to that book. And we'll then send that out to to booksellers and to bloggers and and other contacts. And that's kind of where the conversation begins. And from that very early conversation around getting more and more people to read it in its early stages, we can really gauge the reaction. We can kind of listen to what people are saying, if there are common themes. So if people are talking about, um, I don't know, they, they love the, the adventure element, for example, or they love the emotion, then we know which elements we need to pull into our campaign messaging. So a couple of things strike me about what Julia just said. One is how responsive this process is. Those early reviews and feedback are shaping how they're going to talk about the book in the future. The other thing is that a lot of what Julia mentioned is similar to what we heard our publicists describing in episode 11. I guess the main distinction that people make between marketing and publicity, which is maybe not entirely fair, is that marketing tend to have a marketing budget. So we we can pay for space. So say we wanted to say we wanted to place a feature for the book in a in a kids magazine. We could approach that magazine and just say we've got this amazing book, we'd like to do a kind of a puzzle page or we'd like to do um, like a competition or we'd like to do something kind of creative like a how to make a rocket ship or something like that. Um, we can ap- approach that magazine and say, we've got this great idea, we can design the page and everything and and how much will that cost? And then we pay for that, for that placement and it goes like that. Publicity, I guess, have more limited budgets and the budgets that they have tend to be more for... Um, author tours and for events and for book launches, that kind of thing. So wherever possible, they will not pay for for space in the media outlets. So they are spending a lot of time on the phone, a lot of time meeting their contacts with their books in mind, giving them the kind of the perfect pitch for this book as why these journalists and why, why these media professionals should love this book and why they should talk about it and share it with all their readers or all their followers if they're vloggers for example so that's I guess the main distinction and we're we're able to reach quite separate audiences marketing can be can be very very targeted we can target you know down to age location interest level you know you can get really really granular with marketing with publicity you're able to get masses and masses of reach through one piece in a, a national newspaper for example Mm-hmm. which if marketing were going to try and buy that space would be astronomically expensive. So that's, that's I guess, how the two departments can work really closely and in, in just complementing each other, really, make sure that we're covering as many bases as possible. And that's why I think you often hear marketing and publicity mentioned in one breath. 
will work together every step of the way for a campaign. You know, Sophia and I, when we were working on Seaborn the Cosmos, we had weekly meetings. It was actually quite convenient because Sophia and I also sit next to each other. Mm. Um, so our desks are so we're in constant conversation about the book. Um and just kind of brainstorming ideas, making sure we're sharing with each other what we're what we're doing. So, for example, if I thought, oh, it'd be great to get a competition in in Toxic magazine, and I was thinking of booking this page advert, Sophia might say, well, actually, I've already spoken to them, and they're going to do a competition in that issue. I can say, okay, brilliant, that base is already covered, so I can I can prioritize elsewhere. But of course, there are also specific challenges and opportunities to reaching kid readers, to telling kid audiences about the books. There are ways to um, to. Oh, I always hate saying the phrase "target children." It sounds so <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so bad. Um, but reach out to children and make them aware of a book. Um, so, for example, we know that they are spending a lot of their time on YouTube, for example. So we might create a, a trailer and run book trailer advertising ahead of some of the videos they might be searching for. So if we know we're mainly targeting, for the sake of argument, nine to eleven year old boys, um, well, what else are nine to eleven year old boys? doing what what kind of videos are they watching on youtube and we can target those so it might be that they're looking for funny cat videos or they're looking actually i wouldn't target funny cat videos because everyone is searching for funny cat videos so that's not very targeted it would have to be something that they actually are watching on television or something like that so we can we can do it that way or we can also i guess the beauty of working in children's book publishing is that you know you have a captive audience um, at a, a given time of day that all of these children will be in school <laughs> hopefully they should be so we can reach out to them via school so we can send activity sheets into schools through the teachers or through the librarians and we can create lesson plans so we do a lot of work with schools as well or after school clubs or of a weekend if, if the children are potentially going to sports clubs and things and thinking of how could we put samples of the book in um, in these sports clubs. So if there's a, a leisure centre they're going to, maybe we can put little mini books on on the counters. So it's really kind of trying to put yourself, I guess, in, in the shoes of, of a nine-year-old boy <laughs> and what he likes doing and where he might encounter messages about a book. And that's why things like the library conference in episode 10 are so important. Schools and libraries are some of the places where kids spend most of their time. Teachers and librarians are some of the people who are most involved in recommending books to kids. So in that same episode about the Texas Library Association Conference, we heard from Vanessa Carson from the school and library marketing team at Penguin Young Readers in the U.S., now I want to bring on one of Vanessa's colleagues to talk more about the role of school and library marketing for books like See You in the Cosmos. My name is Alexis Watts, and um, I work on the marketing team, but specifically I do school and library sales, so really working on getting our books into classrooms and libraries. Sort of like the standard response, I think, from most people who end up in publishing is that you work for free for a long time. And you do a lot of internships, and I did that. Um, but I'm from California, so it was, like, really hard for me to find internships out there that were worthwhile because there's just not a lot out there. So I ended up um, taking a publishing course in the U.K. at uh, University College London, and I interned there a lot at Random House U.K., at a, at a publicity firm, and at a foreign rights firm. And then when I moved back to California after I lived in London for a couple of years, I actually got into publishing at Chronicle Books, which is 
based in California, um, I think in large part to the fact that I was a teacher all through college at an after-school program at the Jewish Community Center, and the now president of Chronicle Books, her name is Tyrell Mahoney, amazing woman, um, her kids were in my class. <laughs> and so there was a job open at Chronicle Books, and I applied for it, and then I sent her an email and was like, I'm not sure if you remember me, but... If you do, I'm really interested in this job, and can you pass me along? And and I think having her vouch really kind of helped me break in there. So yeah, that's sort of how I got in, and then and then I ended up at Penguin actually through a similar situation where like a job was open and I applied for it, and one of the editors at Chronicle Books used to work here. She worked on Ruta Sapetti's Between Shades of Grey. She worked in the imprint here called Philomel, um, and she knew. My now boss, Carmela, was looking for people, so she sort of passed along my my resume in that situation. And I had, I think, three phone calls from California to New York, and then um, I got hired, and I moved here. And so now this is my fourth year on the team. So in addition to planning for events and conferences and deciding which authors are going to attend them, the school and library team also does things for their various accounts that are similar to what the sales team does for bookstores. Once a season, and we have three seasons, spring, summer, and fall, I organize a local event where we invite librarians from the tri-state area. So as far as sort of like Philadelphia or um, Connecticut, usually it's where people can train from. We host an all-day event here, like a half-day event, where we have our editorial team present the upcoming list. It's sort of like, think like Fashion Week, but a lot less cool. Um, Sort of just like our editors come out and present their chosen school and library titles for that season to a group of usually around 50, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on the time of year. And then we have an author guest sort of give a small speech and sign some books, um, Yeah, it's really cool. So we end up inviting a lot of, we call them big mouths, but sort of like influential librarians, district buyers, for example, New York Public Library and Brooklyn Public Library. Those like two or three people will buy for all of New York Public Library and Brooklyn Public Library locations. Same thing happens for certain like city districts for libraries, school district buyers, collections, developers from all over the place. And we do it about three months out of a season because we find that that's when those people are looking to purchase and put in their orders. Part of my job also is I travel not to conferences, but separately from conferences a few times a year, like four or five to different large library systems. There's always one in Philadelphia in the fall, for example, where I will go and pitch our list or a certain version of our list of upcoming titles, and they'll host something like the preview event we have here where they invite librarians and teachers from their, you know, trainable area. Mm. But those are a little bit larger. Those can go up to like 150 people. And you can really get a taste of what happens at these presentations by going to penguinsneakpeak.com. The school and library team recently started making videos for the books that are their lead titles in any given season. See You in the Cosmos was actually featured in their video for spring 2017. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. We wanted to take that same idea of pitching a list to a group full of people and be able to send it out further than the reach of because I can't obviously travel to all 50 states, for example. That's how that video sort of got born, was out of this idea of wanting to take that and and make it larger. They're slightly different than the presentations look like in person, um, which tend to be a little bit more formal. We sort of uh, 
looked around and saw how popular, you know, booktubers are and sort of tried to take a bit of that strategy and style, particularly in terms of editing and apply it to to the video to make it a little bit more consumer friendly should a person stumble upon it who's not, you know, a buyer. And I should point out here that the books that are featured titles for school and library in any given season might not be the same books that Penguin is really promoting in bookstores. They're selected here because something about them is particularly suitable for the school and library environment. Within my team, we really like to discuss what we think is going to, you know, have award potential or if there's something that we're really all reading and loving and feel is really applicable to our market, we might, you know, brainstorm something in that meeting to to bring back to the plans or to do sort of on top of what is already being done. An example of, of a book that we did that for a couple of years ago um, was Fish in a Tree. And that's a middle grade novel by Linda Mullally Hunt. My whole team like really, really loved it. And it's really, really great for our market because it has this like hero teacher element. Um, and we ended up doing like when it was first published, this sort of in-house mailing where we ordered a bunch of copies and we had people from Penguin um, write letters to their favorite teachers and like from their past and send personalized letters on design stationery for that particular title because it had such a, an applicable sort of connection. And so sometimes we'll do sort of extra things like that. Uh, so you mentioned earlier awards. Um, so can you talk a little bit about sort of the importance of awards, especially in like school and library marketing? Yeah, of course. So for us, um, you know, awards are definitely important. And I mean, we don't determine them and, and, and our marketing efforts can't determine them necessarily. There are um, sort of the bigger ones that we pay attention to are the American Library Association or ALA for short. They have a set of awards and then the Young Adult Library Association, YALSA, also puts on some awards. And those are sort of like really, really large ones. And some of them, like the Call the Cotter, the Newberry, can, if your book wins, can necessity, uh, like a large reprint, lots of sales guaranteed into pretty much every library in America. A lot of the industry on the institutional side really pays attention to that announcement. Um, I would say some other big ones, National Book Award has a young adult category. ILA, which is International Literacy Association, also puts out some lists that are really well regarded. And I would say the same for the CBC, which is the Children's Book Council. For us, particularly um, state awards, every state has an awards list, and they're all run a little bit differently, but some of them can be very significant. For example, in Texas, it's such a large buying district, and the awards there are so popular and so well distributed by the Texas Library Association that winning like a Blue Bonnet Award can demand a reprint of almost 10,000 books. So state awards aren't necessarily as sexy as an ALA award, but they can really make a huge difference in um, a book's success. And something I've learned since See You in the Cosmos has been published is that compared to adult or even young adult books, the results and success of a kid's book can be less immediately apparent. Well, also remember that YA or teenagers have the buying purchase power. They, If they like a book, they can buy it themselves. Whereas a seven-year-old, if they like a book, they have to remember that they like it, mention it to a parent. There are so many more steps involved. And with some of those additional steps, it ends up becoming much more of this long game. And I, I would say in general, you know, library success is a little bit more immediate, but our market definitely can be long game, particularly with schools. Um, it can be really a long time before a book is adopted into a curriculum, for example, 
or, you know, garners a ton of state award recognition. But if you don't get it within the first couple of months or even the first year, it doesn't mean you're not going to have that success long term. The sales pattern for children's books versus adult books, I've noticed is so different. You know, adult books, if you don't sell an adult book in the first few weeks, it's pretty much, oh, no, something's gone wrong. Let's try again in a year's time. But in children's books, there is a much longer tail. You have a much longer kind of life cycle. I mean, I mean that, that's borne out by books like Roald Dahl or The Very Hungry Caterpillar or these, these classic children's books that just sell and sell and sell. I mean, all authors slash, you know, anyone who wants to get into school and library marketing, you'll see immediate payoffs for sure. Like, you know, guests coming to events and sort of wonderful panels coming together or well-produced conferences coming to a close. It's all really great. But I think you can work on a book your first year and then three years later, you can get like an email from someone that you handed that galley to at some show and they gave it to a kid. And this is You know, I think that's something about school and library that's a little bit different is we form these really great relationships with teachers and librarians all over that you just meet like in person at these conferences. And, you know, many times I've gotten emails about books after the fact. So, you know, you just came with us to TLA for Cosmos and and I could get an email literally six months from now, two years from now that was like, I saw Jack Chang at this thing and I gave this kid his book and and this is what happened and I'll just like forward it on to you and be like, this is what we got, you know. So I think that's kind of one of the special things about school and libraries that if you work in it, you get this special connection, but you also, I think, um, get to have a little bit more of the like warm and fuzzy feeling because, you know, teachers and librarians are such important members of their like communities. Thanks very much to our guests this week, Julia Teese at Penguin Random House in the UK and Alexis Watts at Penguin Young Readers in the US. Music for this podcast is by Saint Benjamin. Check out more of his stuff at saintbenjamin.com. See You in the Cosmos is available now at bookstores and libraries pretty much anywhere. And for next week, we'll have, finally, an episode about the book tour. See you then. <laughs>